Well, let me add my welcome to Henry's, and uh, thank you very much for coming this evening to our carol service. My name is Ben, I'm the pastor here, and uh, I want to just say a personal thank you to our musicians and singers. It's been absolutely fantastic, guys. Thank you. I want to uh, spend a little bit of time looking at one of the readings that we've had this evening. It's from Isaiah 9, and it's actually printed on the back of your service sheet, so you can follow along. Uh, but as we begin, let me ask you, what do you want for Christmas? There's still a week to go. Uh, what have you still got on your list? Uh, this is what I want. It's an Aquanauta XL kayak. Uh, with all the accessories, preferably, and a roof rack, so I can stick it on the car, drive out to the dolphin sanctuary, and go for a paddle for the morning. Now, of course, what you want and what you'll get are two very different things, uh, but I reckon telling a room full of people a week before Christmas significantly increases my chances. Uh, but what about if you think beyond the toys and the gadgets, the iPhone, the avocado udi, the, the tickets to the show that you really want to see next year. Did you know that Michael McIntyre's coming to town in March? Very excited. Uh, but if you think beyond all those things, what do you really want for Christmas? Just for a moment, think big. Dream dreams. If you could have any wish, what would you want? Now, of course, uh, what you want will depend on your circumstances. Uh, there have been a few babies born here at Barney's recently. Not literally here, but you know what I mean to members of the church. And um, I think I know what those new mums would like this Christmas, some unbroken sleep. I think about a friend in the UK recently diagnosed with cancer. He's been undergoing treatment this year. I know what he and his wife want this Christmas. They want the all clear. Or think about citizens in the Ukraine, or refugees in Syria, or victims of famine in the Horn of Africa. It's not difficult to guess what they want this Christmas. But what you want and what you'll get are two very different things. Or are they? Because this reading in Isaiah 9 tells us about the ultimate Christmas gift. It tells us about the original Christmas gift. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Now, there's a sense in which every child is a gift, every birth, a miracle. My wife, Corinne, used to work as a nurse and spent time on delivery wards. She said every birth she witnessed was breathtaking. Uh, we named our first daughter Moya, which means wished for child, and our second daughter, Darcy Dorothea, gift of God's. Every child is a gift, but Isaiah is saying this child is extra special. He's the original and the ultimate Christmas gift. And the problem is that so often, year after year, we fail to grasp the value of what we've been given. It's as if God's gift to us remains under the tree, and we never quite get around to finding the time to pick it up and take a look. I read this week about a guy in America, a guy called Lauren Kritzer, who was given a blanket by his grandmother. He didn't think anything of it until one day he saw a similar blanket on the Antiques Roadshow, and he decided to go and see what his was worth, hoping it might fetch a few thousands. It sold for $1.5 million US, which got me thinking, because my grandmother gave me a blanket too. 
here it is. And uh, I'm just waiting for my opportunity to uh, get it valued and cash in my millions. <laughs> I'm not sure it's an authentic Navajo Native American blanket, but it's got its own qualities. Lauren Kritzer seriously undervalued what he had been given. And we can do the very same with the gift that God has given to us. And so this evening, I want to spend a bit of time to take a look at what God has given us, the original and the ultimate Christmas gift. This section of the Bible, Isaiah 9, it was written about 700 BC. And it tells us about a promise and it tells us about a child. It tells us about God's promise of a glorious future, which he will bring about through the birth of an extraordinary child. So firstly, the promise of a glorious future. This is the first half of the passage, verses 1 to 5. And let me draw out three aspects of this promise. Firstly, death will be defeated. In the glorious future, God promises death will be defeated. Verse 2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. God promises a great light that will shatter the darkness and overcome death. And there are some people who know that is exactly what they need this Christmas. I think of a couple of friends whose parents have died over the course of the last year, and this will be the first Christmas without them. Or you think of the community in Chinchilla, Queensland, and the families who have lost people in the horrific events of last week. You know, on the news reports, there's been a lot of talk of darkness. That, that community, those families, they know about the darkness of evil and they know about the darkness of death. They know what Isaiah is talking about as they live under the shadow of death and continue to grieve those who've been snatched from them. And that's the problem with death, isn't it? Because loving relationships are so hard to come by and death robs us of them. And that is why God's promise is so precious. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is a light that doesn't just help us through the darkness. This is a light that dispels the darkness, that overcomes the darkness. This is a promise that death itself will be defeated. And that is something everyone needs because all of us live under the shadow of death. Most of the time we don't think about it. We try to ignore it because ultimately we don't have any answers to it. We're all in the darkness. We're all living under the shadow of death, whether we admit it or not. Which is why God's Christmas promise is such good news. Because it's about a great light. A light which deals with the darkness and overcomes death. The second thing about this glorious future is that it will be one of abundant joy. Which makes sense, doesn't it, if death has been defeated. Verse 3 says, you've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. This is a promise of supreme jubilation. It makes me think of the, the pictures that we have at the end of the Second World War. People out in the streets singing and dancing and hugging complete strangers. But this is not just a promise of 
temporary happiness that will fade over time, but full and lasting, abundant joy. This promise of a glorious future is the promise of heaven, paradise. I, I don't know what you think about when you hear the word heaven. If, if you think of clouds and harps, scrub that out. God's promise for the future is of a renewed creation. This world, this existence made perfect. And everything that spoils life in this world, gone forever. So no more death and no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain. I guess we'd all agree there's something wrong with the world as it currently is. The Bible says the reason for all the problems is that we've rejected our creator. Humanity as a whole has ignored the giver of light and life. And so we've plunged this world into death and darkness. But the story of the Bible is of a God who relentlessly pursues, who doesn't give up on the world that he's made or the people he loves. A God who commits himself and promises to fix what is broken and right what is wrong, to wipe away every tear of sadness and fill our lives with abundant joy. This is the future that God promises. Death defeated, abundant joy, thirdly, lasting peace. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. You know, they, they promised the First World War would be over by Christmas, and then it ended up in such horror they said it would be the, the war to end all wars. Of course, sadly, neither prediction was right. In Australia, we've enjoyed a remarkable freedom from war and conflict in our own land. But that's not something to be taken for granted. And it's certainly not something that can be said of the majority of countries in our world. But God's promise is for lasting peace. Not, not just a period of peace that might last a few decades, but the end of war entirely. The picture here in verse 5 is of a, a great bonfire. All the instruments and weapons of conflict burned up and destroyed. And God will establish a true, lasting peace. So that's God's promise of a glorious future. Death defeated and abundant joy and lasting peace. I, I don't know what you think about that promise but don't you want it to be true? Isn't that the world we all want? Life, joy, peace. If it's true, it's more valuable than any other gift. But that's the real question, isn't it? Is it true? And that's the question that the second half of this passage deals with. See, the second half is God's guarantee it's as if God says, look, here's the glorious future and here's the guarantee that I'm going to bring it about, that I'll do what I said I will do. How do we know the promise is true? Because to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Now that sounds like a strange guarantee, doesn't it? It feels like a significant gear change. Isaiah has just been talking about the darkness of death and smoldering battlefields, and then he takes us to a maternity ward. 
It's a bit like Vladimir Zelensky getting up and saying to the citizens of Ukraine as the Russians begin their invasion, keep calm everyone, I've heard there's a woman expecting a boy. It seems absurd, doesn't it, to claim that the solution to all the problems of the world is the birth of a baby. But this is no ordinary baby. We're told the government will be on his shoulders. So this child will be a ruler. And that's what we need, isn't it? A ruler who will sort out the mess. A leader who can solve the problems of this world and establish peace. I wonder who you would choose. If you could have your pick of anyone across the world and down through the ages, who would you choose? Who would you put in charge to sort this world out? And I wonder, have you considered the baby born at Christmas? Isaiah tells us his name, or names. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, naming a child is always difficult, uh, especially in the Hebrew culture where names had enormous significance. Parents had the pressure of choosing a name that would kind of sum up all their hopes for what that child would be. It's a bit like giving Sylvester Stallone the names Rocky and Rambo in his movies. You know, it tells us exactly what to expect. Rocky on the right, left, your left, heavyweight boxer, and Rambo... Special Forces Commando. You know, if they'd called him Bertie, wouldn't have quite worked. Now, it's a great name, Bertie, but I'm not sure it quite fits the role. So these names have enormous significance. They tell us what to expect of this child. Wonderful counselor tells us he's going to have supernatural wisdom which is exactly what he'll need if he's going to rule the world and sort out all the problems, isn't it? And so we'd expect that when this child is born, generations of people would marvel at his teaching. Next, he'll be called Mighty God, which tells us he'll have the power and authority of God himself, which again he'll need if he's going to fix the brokenness of the world. And so when this child is born, we'd expect him to act with great authority, to control his creation, to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to raise the dead. Next, he'll be called Everlasting Father, which tells us about his care and protection. This ruler is going to use all his mighty strength with fatherly love and care. And he'll be an everlasting father, an everlasting ruler. As the following verse says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom forever. One of the most moving things, I don't know if you watched the funeral of the queen uh, back earlier in the year. One of the most moving things was the removal of the crown and the orb and the scepter from the coffin before she was lowered into the vault. It signified the end of her 70-year reign. But the reign of this promised child, we're told, will never, ever end. Finally, he'll be called Prince of Peace. The Hebrew word here is shalom. 
It doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It means completeness, wholeness, fullness of blessing. And so when this child is born, we'd expect him to restore what is broken and put things right, to bring peace between people and God. I wonder if you've ever had to register the name of a, a new child. I don't know actually how it works in Australia. In the UK, you go to the registry office, and there's a board official who takes down the details, you know, father's name, date of birth, occupation, mother's name, date of birth, name of child. And if you're lucky, you get a, ah, oh, that's a nice name. You know, when I um, registered my first child, Moya Elsie Wood, ah, interesting names. And um, there seems to be a spelling mistake on your surname. Oh, no, that's correct. If you don't know, Wood has two Ds. And um, that will be uh, the pain for my daughter for the rest of her life. But can you imagine, imagine registering the name of this child? You know, getting to the registry, name of child. Well, actually, there's four. Uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, yep, God. Um, Mumsnet.com has a, a list of unique boys' names beginning with G. Uh, they include Garrison, Garrett, Gino, Grady, Grayson, but you know, I looked all the way down the list and it seems no one is calling their child God. You can imagine the response in the registry office, the, the, the gossip. Did you hear what they're calling him? But this is the claim of Christmas. That the everlasting, all-knowing, almighty God has come. That he's humbled himself and shrunk himself down and been born as a human baby. That the creator God has entered his world in order to fix his world and bring about the glorious future that he promised. This is the original Christmas gift, the ultimate Christmas gift, God giving himself to us in the person of Jesus. So this passage is about God's promise of a glorious future that will bring about through the birth of an extraordinary child. And can you see the birth of the child guarantees the glorious future promised. And so this passage is full of expectation. The original readers would have been left wondering, waiting, watching for this child to come. And for us, we should be asking, has he come? I mean, his birth would be remarkable, unmiss unmissable, likely a turning point in history. We would expect news of his birth to travel out across the world. We'd expect his birth to be remembered and celebrated for generation after generation. Well, 700 years after this promise was given, an angel came to a young girl and said, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And sure enough, the baby is born. And when he grows up, he teaches with unparalleled wisdom. Jesus claims to be the long-promised ruler. 
establishing his kingdom of righteousness and peace. He calls people to come and be part of his kingdom now, even as we wait for the fullness of the kingdom to come. Jesus demonstrates divine authority. He calms the storm. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. We we get a glimpse of what life in his kingdom will be like, a life free from disaster, disease, sickness, and death. Jesus is full of fatherly compassion and care. The lowly, the suffering, those who know they've made a mess of their lives, they flock to Jesus. He's like a little oasis of paradise walking around. In the presence of Jesus, everything that is broken gets fixed. And he restores God's shalom to a troubled world. And yet, despite doing nothing wrong, Jesus is arrested and accused and sentenced to death. It looks like the tragic end to a promising life. But Jesus says it's why he came. Born as one of us to die on behalf of us that it's through his death that he's going to make it possible for people to be restored to relationship with God. And then he rose again. The grave couldn't hold him, and death is truly defeated. Jesus opens the way for all of us to follow him into the glorious future, life, joy, and peace. And now we wait for the return of the king, and the fulfillment of all that God promised. Christmas is good news of great joy for all people. The promise of a glorious future through the birth of an extraordinary child. And friends, the child has come. And so the future is guaranteed. Hope for this world has dawned in the coming of Christ. We know where history is heading. And Jesus calls us tonight to come to him. To come under his loving rule. To be part of his kingdom now as we wait for the fullness of that kingdom to come. Let me lead us in a prayer. If you'd like to, please bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we thank you for your promise of a glorious future, death defeated, abundant joy, lasting peace. Thank you that that promise is not just wishful thinking, but a sure and certain hope, guaranteed through the coming of the Lord Jesus, whose birth we celebrate today. We thank you for him for his life and death and resurrection and we pray that we would come to him afresh this Christmas with thankfulness, faith and joy that we would be part of his kingdom now as we wait with joyful expectation for the fullness of his kingdom to come. We pray in his mighty and merciful name. Amen.